minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to the 79th episode of the Pack a Day Podcast, or as I like to call it, the Ryan Pickett episode. We are the first 365-day-a-year Packers podcast, and you can get all your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast streaming service is. And of course, you can always check us out on CheeseheadTV.com. My name is Andrew Mertig, and I am joined by my co-host Kyle Fellows. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, Andrew, uh, and I'm really just ready to jump right in and talk some Packers, talk about some things that seem to have Packers fans and Packers Twitter all kinds of upset, and we have to start with the saga surrounding HaHa Clinton Dix, I think. Uh, let's just get right to that. About midday Wednesday, news came out that Clinton Dix is questioning his future in Green Bay. He even went as far as to say that he doesn't think he'll be back in 2019. Now, obviously, HaHa is playing on a fifth-year option on his rookie deal, and he will be a free agent after the season. So he's obviously thinking about his future and his financial security and all those kinds of things. Uh, but to be fair, I want to read the actual quote from Clinton Dix, and then I want to get your thoughts, Andrew, just to kind of see where you're at with this. But uh, this is the quote. Right now, I'm playing each and every game like it's my last. I don't think I'm going to be here next year. That's how I look at it. I just have to be honest with myself. You've got to play it game by game. Whether you're losing by 60 points, you've got to go out there and perform. This is my biggest interview of my career, so I've got to perform regardless of what the record says. Andrew, do HaHa's comments bother you at all? Where are you at with this? Well, first of all, I think you said the HaHa saga, which is absolutely what we should label this from here on forward. It's a great title. I Can I claim that? Absolutely. That was a great <laughs> great call up of you. Um, the His comments do not bother me, not in the least. And um, quite frankly, I'm flabbergasted that people are bothered by what he said. He's just being realistic about his current situation. My guess is the Packers probably haven't had any contract extension conversations uh, with him. And if they did, they haven't made a bid to the point of what he thinks he's worth. Haha was really bad early this season. He's actually played really well lately. The funny thing is we want players to be honest with the media when they're when they're speaking and say things that aren't the same old replies, but then we just totally blast them for being quote unquote bad teammates or maybe quitting on the team when they actually do open up. Yeah, as fans, we definitely have a tendency to focus on the football side of things, which makes sense. But this is HaHa's life and his future that he's wrestling with here. And I think playing in the last year of a deal would make any player or any person feel like their future was completely up in the air. And HaHa might even feel like the Packers are only keeping him around as long as it's financially beneficial to them, which may be true. Uh, but hopefully, regardless of the motivation, HaHa's looming offseason and future contract will be motivation for him to continue to produce on the field. Do you think that Green Bay should resign HaHa, Andrew? Honestly, I'm, I'm not sure. It probably depends on what the cost ends up being. Safeties 
certainly haven't been getting big paydays in recent memory, and especially this past offseason. And I think HaHa might be one of those players who's maybe more valuable to a different team than he actually is to Green Bay. If he gets something like Morgan Burnett money, I'd like to see him back. If he's getting more than that, um, which I actually do think he's going to, he probably doesn't return to the Packers. In any case, safety is going to be a huge need this offseason, and we've talked about that in the past. Um, I'd like to switch gears a little bit, though, um, from the ha-ha saga. <laughs> and I wanted to talk about what I consider to be some disturbing behavior that I've witnessed this past week, whether it be Packard message boards, Twitter, uh, comments, in-person things that I've heard. Um, and arguably stretching back quite a bit further than that. Yeah, the Packers didn't play well against Detroit. We're not going to dive into that. That's been well dissected by the team throughout the week. They haven't looked sharp in any game this season, and they're definitely having some problems getting all three units to play well at the same time. However, I have no idea how you get fans and experts and I'm going to get in trouble for this, but heck, even other hosts on this show saying that the season is in jeopardy. They need to be looking to make changes in the coaching staff. The team is completely devoid of talent. They are 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. How spoiled and entitled can this fan base possibly be? So the first issue that people have is with McCarthy himself. Yeah, I agree, he is not the best coach in the league. But if you look at it, his career record is 123-72-2. That makes him tied for the 16th best winning percentage of all time of coaches who have at least 50 wins. And ironically, he's tied right now with Curly Lambeau. Among active coaches, it goes number one, Bill Belichick, number two, Mike Tomlin, number three, Mike McCarthy. So he may not be great, but he is a highly successful coach. You can credit Aaron Rodgers with Mike McCarthy's success, but quite frankly, Mike McCarthy has something to do with Aaron Rodgers' success too. I should also note that Belichick and Brady went from 2005 to 2015 without winning the Super Bowl. I think a lot of people forget about that. So even the greatest quarterback and coach combo of this generation had periods of time where they weren't as successful as their fan base wanted them to be. Do you think that people in New England were calling for Bill Belichick's head? Probably not. My second point is there's a lot of people that have an issue with Mike McCarthy about his play calling. Yeah, the offense can seem antiquated at certain times, but you can't complain about route design and then also call out Aaron Rodgers for missing wide-open receivers. People need to really pick their lane when it comes to that one. And as far as talent, I'm going to say something that's probably kind of controversial. I don't know. This team has the talent to win the Super Bowl this year. They don't look like it right now, but many teams throughout the years have started out slow and finished super hot, Remember the 2010 Packers team. So I am just saying, I'm, I'm begging you to stop rushing to judgment about a football team that, quite frankly, we don't know enough about to make a final determination. If they fail, sure, Mike McCarthy's job will be in jeopardy, and it should be. But worry about that at the end of the year. There are way too many people who just want to say, I told you so, in a couple months, than who actually want to 
root for their team to succeed. And quite frankly, those people don't even deserve to call themselves fans. So, rant over. <laughs> That's a quality rant, Andrew. And honestly, it's some perspective that we need to hear and to remember. Uh, the other day I tweeted that I was Googling best NFL head coaching candidates for 2019, and that tweet got a lot of likes, probably because fans thought I was calling for Mike McCarthy to be fired. Um, and I do think that there may come a day that Green Bay may need to consider a culture change. And at the end of the day, coaches do need to be held responsible for having their teams ready to play on game day and for the way that they use their personnel. But I don't think we've reached the point where we should be talking about firing a very, very good head coach in Mike McCarthy. And the reason I tweeted that was that looking at head coaching candidates for 2019, it's not a list that you're really impressed with when you start looking down that those options. Um, there are some young coordinators who are really intriguing. Um, yes, there are some college coaches who might make good NFL coaches, but just chasing one of those unproven commodities to replace McCarthy, who is a highly successful proven coach, seems foolish and like just too much of a knee-jerk reaction to me at this point. And if we're being really honest, if in that Detroit game, the punt that never touched Kevin King was called correctly, and if Mason Crosby even makes half of his kicks, the Packers probably win that game. And if it wasn't for the unbelievably terrible roughing the passer penalty on Matthews in the Vikings game, Jair Alexander ends that game with an interception, and the Packers win that one as well. And instead of sitting here at 2-2-1, two, two, and one, we're talking about being 4-1, and one, and we're never even having this conversation about firing coaches and about scheme and about player usage. So Packers fans, I get it. You're frustrated. This isn't the way that we thought things would go. But I appeal to you, be patient. And as a great quarterback once said, R-E-L-A-X, relax. We're going to be okay. But with that, let's go ahead. We're just going to move on. Um, and we are roughly a third of the way through the season, and we're not ones to jump to conclusions, but with five games in the books, we wanted to take just a few minutes on a segment called Impressed and Depressed. First, we want to talk about several players that have left us impressed these first couple of weeks in the season, and then we want to turn our attention to some guys who, for some reason or another, have left us feeling a little bit depressed. Andrew, why don't you go ahead and take the lead for us on this one? Yeah, I'm going to go kind of obvious, I think, with my first impressed player, and that is David Bakhtiari. It is absolutely not a surprise that old number 69 has been absolutely fantastic this season. It is the expectation when it comes to Bakhtiari. But clearly, he has taken the step from one of the top left tackles in the league to the absolute best left tackle in the league. Bakhtiari has been instrumental in keeping Aaron Rodgers upright, even in his hobbled state, and he basically erased every pass rusher he's faced this season. I'm assuming teams will start planning their best pass rushers to match up against pretty much anybody else on the line if they're not doing that already. It has been an all-pro season to this point. So, Kyle, who you got? Yeah, staying on the offensive line, I've been really impressed with Lane Taylor over these first couple weeks of the season. Obviously, the Packers have one of the best left tackles in the game, like you mentioned, and David Bakhtiari uh, that plays right next to him. But Taylor is rarely praised for his play and has been absolutely rock solid in pass protection. You could say that he's an average run blocker, and that may be true. But when your quarterback is Aaron Rodgers, your primary concern is keeping him upright, and Taylor has been very good in that department. And you'll hear some fans say, 
say that Green Bay really needs to consider upgrading both guard positions. And I'm sorry, but that is just crazy to me. Um, Andy Herman's player grades on cheeseheadtv.com are a great resource. They actually post on Friday morning, so you can go right on over there and check those grades out after you're done listening to this podcast. Those uh, week five grades will be posted this morning. But through the first four weeks of the season, Lane Taylor is one of the few players on the Packers roster who has received a positive grade each and every week from Andy. So I've been really impressed with the start that Lane Taylor's had in 2018. And in my opinion, he's really taken that big step in proving that he is clearly a starter in this league. Yeah, I thought Taylor did a fantastic job of proving himself last year, and he has just continued to shine. My depressed player, or at least my first one, is Kentrell Bryce. Bryce has been a favorite of mine since he was signed as an undrafted free agent. He has blazing speed, and he is an absolute big thumper. I predicted he would make the roster in his rookie year and eventually turn into an impact player. However, he has looked lost in coverage all year. He seems afraid to make big hits. And in fairness, the NFL has really made all big hitters afraid to make plays. But Bryce has made the Packers look a little foolish for thinking he was ready for a starting role in the NFL. And I think the lack of development by Josh Jones has really hurt that situation as well. Yeah, absolutely. Bryce was definitely someone I thought coming into this year could really take that step and become an impact player for this team. Um, but we haven't seen it yet this year. We'll hold out a little bit of hope that uh, the later portions of the season show us a little bit more from Bryce. Um, I also have a depressed player here. Um, I have to admit that Nick Perry's play this season has me a little bit depressed. Um, it's been well noted that Clay Matthews' season hasn't been great thus far, but I would say that I'm significantly more disappointed with Perry's production simply because you can't you, you kind of expect a regression from Matthews because he's getting older. Regression is only to be expected there, but not with Perry. He's 28 years old, and he's in the second year of a five-year, $59 million deal. And so, so far this year, in 2018, he's been one of the least effective and least impactful players on this Packers defense. And I can't help but wonder if maybe maybe it's that ankle. Maybe you know he had that surgery in the offseason. Maybe it's giving him some trouble or something. But whatever it is, Nick Perry just doesn't look like the best version of himself out there. And at some point, you just have to wonder if you need to put the club back on him and see if it helps. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with our third straight depressed on defense. And this is really sad uh, for for us. <laughs> and I, arguably, a defense that's played pretty well lately, and we're going three straight depresses. And this one is especially painful to me because it's one of my favorite players. I'm going to say Mike Daniels has been depressed, um, and he is a tremendous player. He gives maximum effort. He gives blockers absolutely everything he has. I think he's been better against the run this year than the pass, but his lack of big plays has been disturbing. He just simply is not getting to the quarterback in the passing game, and it makes me start to wonder if it's due to maybe ineffectiveness or maybe it's due to scheme not fitting his skill set. That's interesting, and he definitely hasn't played up to what we've expected from Mike Daniels in the past, and so it'll be interesting to see if, yeah, maybe uh, he gels with the scheme a little bit later in the year and these kinds of things, but not the Mike Daniels that we're used to seeing so far this year. Um, Justin McCray is another player that has me a little depressed. He's a guy who, coming into the season, I wanted to give a chance to prove that he could be the guy at right guard, and well, I 
you know, I got done talking about how Lane Taylor has been this great piece for us at left guard. McCray has been just the opposite on the other side of the line. Now, he had the injury that's kind of kept him from redeeming himself these last couple weeks. But over the first three weeks of the season, McCray frequently looked lost and overpowered on the field. And these last couple of games, Byron Bell, who is not a world beater, has looked like quite a considerable upgrade over McCray, in my opinion. And so it's depressing to admit, but I think McCray has shown that he is the one clear liability on this offensive line and should remain probably a bench player when he returns to health. And that's depressing to me because coming into the season, I was hopeful that Justin McCray could be the future at right guard. But did you? I feel like you harp on Justin McCray an awful lot. Like, <laughs> like, Tyler Fackrell and I have our issues, but I feel like you and Justin McCray are kind of getting there. Yeah, maybe it's true. Maybe I've never really been a big fan of Justin McCray, and I just keep feeling like I'm giving him a chance, but I'm really not. I don't know. And so at the for for next week's episode, we're going to go with all impressed and no depressed because the Packers are going to obliterate the 49ers. Absolutely. I will be there, and it's probably going to be very cold. So, you know, by fall standards. I'll try, to, I try, I'll try to feel bad for you being there. Yeah, you probably should. <laughs> so we're going to transition from impressed and depressed to the Saints pick update. So this is our weekly update of where the New Orleans Saints pick that they traded to the Green Bay Packers is going to land in next year's draft. Once again, the Saints are leaving us frustrated. If the season ended today, the Saints pick would be the 29th overall selection. Meanwhile, the Packers would be picking 15th. We're, we're going in opposite directions That's here, and that is way. not good. The trade value of those two, however, if you combine the 29th and the 15th pick, would equate to approximately the 5th or 6th, at least by the trade value chart. I don't think the Packers could actually move that high just utilizing those two selections, but we are certainly hoping to see the Packers pick much lower than that. Um, the, the Saints are traveling to Baltimore this week to take on the Ravens Sunday in the late afternoon affair. The Ravens have looked pretty tough lately, other than their loss to the Browns, and they will probably give the Saints a challenge um, playing at home. Here's hoping that Joe Flacco looks elite this weekend. There you go. Putting all of our eggs in the Joe Flacco basket. Makes me nervous. Uh, but we wanted to leave you guys with an injury update, and there was a lot of good news that came out of practice on Thursday. Geronimo Allison and Randall Cobb are both expected to be in the rehab group for practice on Thursday, which still would have been progress, but as Rob Domofsky noted, both were surprised limited participants in practice. Uh, so that's some good news there, and it's obviously great news that Geronimo is no longer in the concussion protocol, and it seems that both wideouts are trending in the right direction at this point. So some good news there with uh, Allison and Cobb. Uh, some other good news in the secondary as all of Kevin King, Jair Alexander, Bashad Breland, and Jermaine Whitehead practiced on Thursday. So it seems like there's a good chance the Packers will have a relatively healthy defensive group on Monday night against the 49ers. Finally, neither Jimmy Graham or Aaron Rodgers practiced on Thursday, uh, but not to worry. That's been their schedule these last couple of weeks as well. Both are expected to play Monday night. 
Though it sounds like Aaron Rodgers may need to go back to a slightly larger brace, uh, similar to the one that he wore in week three against the Redskins, but he hopes that that's not the case. But either way, we expect to see number 12 out there on Monday night, though his mobility may be a little bit more limited than it's been these last couple of weeks. Uh, that's all we have for you guys on this wonderful Friday. This has been the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can find Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Mertzig, and you can find me at Packer underscore Pundit. Remember to follow at Pack-A-Day Podcast as well, and remember to subscribe to the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Tomorrow's episode will be hosted by Jake and Mark, and of course there will be a great new show every single day. You can catch Andrew and myself every Friday. We'll be back next Friday for a breakdown of the 49ers game and some bye week coverage. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, remember to. Graham wide to the right side. Slots it up to the left. Adams and Scantling to the left side. St. Brown on the slot of the right. Snap to Rodgers. Fakes the handoff. Throws the left side of the end zone. Wide open. Delta Scantling. Touchdown. And Rodgers signals to the sidelines. Go for two. Power eye formation for Green Bay. Rodgers under center. And the fake to Jones. Rodgers throws right side. He's got Kendricks tumbling into the end zone for the touchdown. One yard touchdown pass to Lance Kendricks. And snap to Rodgers. Looking around on second down. Throws the left side of the end zone. He's got Devontae. Touchdown. Devontae Adams. 12 yard touchdown reception. Packers jump back in it. It is 31 to 20. Rodgers takes the snap, pump fakes left, goes long, left side, in the seam, he's got St. Brown circle, roots outside the numbers, 40, 45, 50, down the left sidelines, accelerating to the 30, and then pulled down from behind, inside the 25, at the Detroit 23-yard line, wow, what a play that was by the rookie, my goodness, 60-yard oh, pass play.